We were leaders in the space for a lot of reasons, and we had really exceptional technology that other people wanted to be a part of, and we started to make a business out of that. Welcome to The Committed Innovator, where experienced innovators and unsung heroes share their triumphs and trials with our host, Eric Roth, the global leader of McKinsey's innovation and growth practice. We'll uncover the real stories behind successful innovations and take you behind the scenes with the leaders developing innovative new technologies and business models to unlock long-term growth. Welcome back to another episode of The Committed Innovator. Today, we couldn't be more pleased to welcome Chris Marnack to the show. He's the Chief Operations and Strategy Officer for Major League Baseball, and we have the distinct honor to have this conversation in Major League Baseball's headquarters and studios here. Welcome to the podcast and really looking forward to hearing all about how baseball has innovated itself and what we should expect in the future. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So let's get right to the chase. There are headlines about the rules changes. We don't need to get into specifically what's changing, but why is now the right moment to start thinking about changing the rules and architecture of how baseball works? Yeah, obviously the uh, rule changes have generated a ton of buzz this year and are you know, one example of a lot of the innovation that comes out of baseball, a very traditional business. And that's why I think this is in- interesting to talk about. Baseball has been around for 150 years. You know, if you talk about innovation and change, particularly for traditional businesses, I think we're a pretty good example of how you can actually grow a business, innovate, but still retain the legacy, the tradition, the history that makes what, what we think is really special about the game. The rule changes have been something that's been in flight for a long time, probably almost 10 years, which is part of the story around why it's been successful. You know, it's not like we just pulled it out of thin air six months ago. We started by really listening to our fans, hearing from our fans what they liked about the game and what they thought about could be better and could make the game more successful. Based on that feedback that we got from our fans, we really engaged in in a process of experimentation. We have an entire department, baseball operations department, literally spend all day thinking about how we can make different rules, how we can improve the product on the field, how we can make it more exciting. We've been at this for a while and we have the distinct luxury, particularly relative to some other sports, of having a minor league. You know, So we have four levels of minor leagues baseball where we can take new rules, new innovations, new products on the field and see how they work. And, and we figured out based on the feedback from our fans, which is that they wanted crisper action, more condensed gameplay, more balls in play, more action, that the pitch clock that we implemented this year among several other rule changes actually really did a great job of driving toward that outcome. It was successful in the minor leagues. And so because of that success, we were able to bring it to the major leagues in a way that was really out of the gate, very successful. There are so many things about what you just said that I want to pull apart a little bit. What we know from our own work is the most innovative organizations start with an aspiration to innovate. And as you said, Baseball's been around forever. It's you know an institution and a livelihood and part of people's childhood. The cold, there's a culture around it. Not something so simple to change. So where was the start of this? The desire and the and the interest and the aspiration to really make meaningful changes. Where did that come from? Yeah, really, the commissioner uh, when Commissioner Manfred became commissioner in 2015. I think he really felt like he was taking a perspective for the next generation of fan. One of the first things he did was really focus on little league baseball and youth baseball, because we know that when people play baseball at a young age, they're much more inclined to be fans of the game later in life. And so starting from that point, 
Rob really took an aggressive focus on the next generation of fan. How are we going to cultivate fans 20, 30, 40 years from now? And so we really spent a lot of time listening to them, surveys, focus groups, really spending a lot of time with younger fans and asking them what, what was important to them about being a fan. And that's what we started to hear a lot was we, need more, we want the action to pick up. We want the pace of the game to improve. And based on that feedback, that's when we got started on this project. So often it takes a really clearly articulated valuable problem to commemorate really great innovative solutions. Would you say the valuable problem that came through this, this sort of fan exploration was really about the pace and the shape of a game relative to other ways that people occupy that same time for entertainment? Yeah, the, the real insight was that two factors sort of compounded together over the last decade or so. One of which was that analytics became much more prevalent in the game. So front offices, Moneyball, there were tons of really good insights that Moneyball generated in terms of how to build a roster and how to efficiently use resources to be successful in the field. But one of the things that came out of that was that there were a lot of innovations that were happening on the baseball operations side that maybe didn't necessarily create the most desirable product for the fans. The games were taking longer. The pitchers were taking more time between pitches, more pitching changes. There was a real big focus on velocity, pitchers throwing really hard, batters trying to hit home runs. And so that was a trend that was sort of evolving out of the money ball period. And then compounding with that was the innovation of social media and a lot of things that are happening in the media space that all businesses are facing around just a desire for much more crisp presentation, shorter attention spans. And so the confluence of those two factors really coming together and then speaking to younger fans who disproportionately feel the impact of those things allowed us to come away with this insight that we really need to focus on innovating the product on the field so that we can cater to the next generation of fan. And that was the, the genesis of this. There's another aspect of innovation, which I think many are watching, which is just the business model itself on baseball, uh, particularly with technology, digital. How is the business model evolving and how do you think about business model innovation in the context of baseball? The, the foundation point is that we, we think in baseball, we have an innovative model for how we engage fans digitally, which is that our clubs have centralized all those rights within the league office to take advantage of the scale benefits of doing that. Um, and really no other sports property has taken the steps to go as far as we have. And I think there's a number of real benefits that follow from that. All 30 of our clubs have transferred the rights to the website, to social media, to all digital properties, our app, streaming of video. And so what that's allowed us to do over time is really invest in world-class capabilities in those areas. We have hundreds of engineers that work in baseball across a lot of different things because we have the scale to work across those number of clubs. And that scale allows us to drive innovation. And that goes back all the way to the early 2000s with the creation of MLB Advanced Media, which is also a unique entity in the sports world. You know, no other sports property really has something like that mm -hmm. that really has created a, a technology innovation center for baseball. The, the founding innovation was what we call MLB.TV. We, we became the first entity to stream live content online in, in any meaningful way. And so there was a lot of insights and learnings that came from that. But what we found was that we were streaming 2,430 games a year online. And then all of a sudden, a lot of other people started to call up and say, well, can you do that for us too? We're the masters. Can we stream our tournament this weekend or ESPN or whoever? And then in the longer run, we started to pick up more traditional media clients like HBO was a client and a number of other media co companies that said like, hey, this is really hard what you guys do. 
can you can you help us? It really created a, an asset with real differentiation in technology that had value probably beyond what anyone expected when it was first created. It really solved a real problem that that the 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 baseball yeah, hack. I mean, I I think of it a little bit like you know Amazon and AWS, right? So Amazon builds this massive infrastructure because they're trying to sell as many books or products as they can to people, and then all of a sudden they realize that they're running this elaborate infrastructure and like wouldn't some wouldn't other people like to be a part of that too and a lot of that that was essentially the same insight that we had which is we were leaders in the space for a lot of reasons and we had really exceptional technology that other people wanted to be a part of and and we started to make a business out of that and the platform economics and other aspects of technology businesses like that are incredibly valuable if we can get it to scale yeah so in the early 2010s we really started to build not only were we streaming baseball games online and growing a huge business and we're now streaming three billion minutes a month to our fans of of live baseball but we were streaming a, a number of you know other properties as well and doing it all with high quality service, innovation, new features, capabilities, all that sort of stuff. And what what came about of that was we started to get calls from bigger and bigger players. And eventually you got a call from Disney. There are so many examples throughout the world in history where an innovation is born in one context where it's solving a really specific problem extremely well. And then another company or enterprise says, well, wait a minute, that actually solves my problem over here in a totally different context. And it sort of takes takes off in its own way. Yeah, and and now that ended up being the foundational element of Disney Plus, which is the largest, I, I believe, the largest streaming product. And it's like 170, 80 million subscribers, all that, other than Netflix, I guess. And so, to it's a it was a huge step forward movement for them to take a lot of the technology that we built at MLB and use that as the foundation for their property, take their business from zero to 60 super quick, augment what they had in-house, which if, if they tried to build that from scratch, they'd still be working on it. Yeah, it's, it's a good lesson in what you've been describing, which is really listen to your, your users, your consumers, and those are fans in this case, get the problem clear, develop the solution that's going to solve that problem. Hopefully it's a big enough one uh, in your context. And then in this case, do the extra step, which many organizations don't do. It says, wow, I've solved my problem for myself here. Where else is this solution actually have value and then start to think about you know who else you could take it to in this case maybe disney knocked on your door but it could have been just the opposite um and it sounds like in, there was a there was a versions where once you figured out that there's interest you did take it elsewhere and and it created a business unto itself yeah so like that and so disney now has taken that and run with it we, we've retained all the intellectual property the knowledge the resources the engineers that built a lot of that stuff and so we've continued to innovate on our platform separately. And now we're on to the next stage of innovation, which is around local media and delivering our live content in market to fans rather than just out of market. And given all that's happening in the media space right now, we feel like what we've built at baseball is such a huge competitive advantage for us. So baseball, national pastime, and technology, innovator, and leader. That's, what, that's how we like to think about it. So as, as you think about all of the things you could work on. How did you set priorities as to what should come first? You know, rules change was probably not the first one in line. So how did you go about, di- you know, dissecting that and then saying, here's what we want to go do? Yeah, I, I think the starting point was really the commissioner sort of taking a team approach to this and saying, everyone in the organization needs to strive for to tackle this problem, to really try to attack the next generation of fan. In response to that, a lot of departments tried a lot of different things. So on the on the baseball operations side, we have a group that experiments with a lot of things. Yeah. And 
immediately they went to the minor leagues and just put a bunch of things into the minor leagues and even the independent leagues. Limits on mound visits, shifting rules, limits on relief pitchers, pitch clock. Is that is that typically the place where you do a lot of the experimentation uh, or is that a new innovation in just the way you innovate? Historically, we've had the minor leagues. They've been around or probably as long as the major leagues. But I do think that was one of the outputs of this process was that we really realized that that should be a R&D mm-hmm. operation for us. And we should really test things in the, in the minor leagues first. You know, one of the interesting things about all organizations is how do you create enough confidence or evidence to make a big bet on an innovation? And I can imagine in, in the baseball context, there's so many stakeholders and beliefs about what should and shouldn't change. I can imagine that creating the proof points in the minor leagues could have been a really powerful source of evidence to say, you know what, it's okay, we can do this. Well, that that's exactly how we were able to implement such a massive change this year. Like for example, game times are down over 40 minutes from two years ago, which is you know 20%. There's stolen bases are up 50% mm-hmm. from last year and uh, two years ago. So a monumental change. And the reason is exactly what you say, which is that we felt like we fully vetted and tested these changes in in an environment that gave us confidence that we knew what the outcome was going to be. There wasn't a lot of debate of like, well, you know, this could go wrong, that could go wrong. There was a lot of really solid alignment around the fact that this was an impactful change and that it would be beneficial to the sport. And so we were able to really lean in and make this substantial commitment to, to a massive change that ended up being very successful. So I love the way that basically you de-risks things by experimentation, and then you found a way to scale. Now, that sounds easy. We know from all the conversations we've had, plus our own experience, uh, it doesn't quite work as easily that way. So what didn't work? What, where did you run into roadblocks, and how does this organization sort of get itself around them? Yeah, I, I don't. I wouldn't say roadblocks necessarily, but it was a it was a journey, and it was a process of getting on board, educating the players, getting players' experience with with these rule changes. It was a journey around getting feedback from the consumer, understanding does this actually attack the problem that you've exposed to us, or do we need to try something else? Yeah. So a lot of focus groups, a lot of surveys, and what it ended up being was it was less around what didn't work. It was more around trying to identify which of the experiments had the most impact so that we could make the most investment in time and resources there. And then some of the other ones, just view them more as iterative changes. We, we implemented a rule on mound visits that we view as more as an iterative change. It, it, it made a step in the right direction in terms of limiting disruptions to the game. We didn't know if we had it perfectly right, but we also knew the downside wasn't that huge. And so we, we rolled it out. We tried it. We we changed it the next year. We changed it the year after that until we felt like we got it to the right place. And how flexible really is the game though? Because I can imagine, you know, it sounds easy to do. But again, baseball is a culture, not just a, a, a business or, or a game. And what we know about cultures is they're hard to change. And there's always a group of people who will say, no, don't touch this. It's, you know, this is, this is what it should be. How did you combat that? Yeah, I think what you would hear from the baseball people is, particularly with this pitch clock change, very early on, I think there was a good sense that this was going to really have an impact. And so I think if you ask the experts, the, the people in the baseball operations department, they would tell you, you know, year one or year two, like there was a lot of conviction about this as a, as a success point. So, so the frustration level had gotten high enough with the, where the game was, was sort of uh, being played and, and being viewed that change had to happen. Yeah. And I think those guys were the experts. I mean, my, my, the point is that they were the ones who were in it on in the thick of it on a day-to-day basis and really saw it in action and had a sense that it would be successful. 
the the journey the the reason we didn't roll it out that day yeah was exactly what you said we had to consider the change management and the cultural impact and so it was how do we how do we get more feedback on this how do we get exposure to more players how do we educate coaches and managers and fans about it such that when you actually do roll it out there's adoption and support built for it in advance. So we've been focused on sort of what happens on the field, but the reality is baseball is much broader than that. In fact, if we look at you as a technology organization, um, baseball has been one of the first movers in a lot of the technology. I'm not sure it always gets the credit for it, but it's been one of the, the first movers in a lot of technology areas. Where do you view technology today relative to innovation and how does it work in terms of creating and implementing things. Yeah, look, I, I think historically going back multiple decades now, we've taken a very aggressive approach towards technology. And in a lot of ways, it it was foundational for how we ended up implementing these rule changes, which is that we came up with a vision and a strategy and really a way of doing things differently um, from the technology perspective long ago. And then given that sort of alignment and mandate, we really have executed on a lot of technology innovation. So what does that mean? In the late 90s, the dot-com kind of era, you hear a lot of stories around here about how essentially Major League Baseball was like a law office. It was really focused on being a league administrator, sending out discipline, you know, that sort of thing. And it was very much uh, an administrative office. Yeah. And we basically started looking around and said, Where's our website? Where's all of our digital innovation? Where are we going in the tech space? And the rest of the world is kind of moving forward very quickly. What are we doing? We, we did a lot of consulting work and research and strategy work. And the insight was technology should be the number one asset for baseball. You play games every day. You have fans all over the globe. The volume of content that you deliver is astronomical compared to other forms of content. And so technology should be your enabler for that. You, that should be your number one resource. Yeah. And so that innovation really hit home with the commissioner at the time and leaders in the organization. And the other insight was that you, you actually haven't harnessed this before. You don't have much built up in the technology space. So rather than try to innovate incrementally based on where you are, just be honest with yourself and say, you haven't really done much in this space. Yeah. Carve, carve something out to the side as an incubator and see where it goes. And that's exactly what they did. So we know from our research and experience, incubators have a hit or miss success rate. Oftentimes they're created to do what you just said, which is create some experimentation, understand the art of the possible with the hope that it scales. In order for something to scale, however, it's required for the core of the organization to pick it up and really move it across the entire enterprise. How did your incubator succeed where many others have failed in terms of creating the experience of the evidence and then getting it to scale. I think a lot of it comes back to the alignment within baseball. We created this organization uh, that we call BAM, Baseball Advanced Media, which is our, was our technology arm, still is our technology arm. And the reason it was successful was that very early on, there was alignment among the clubs that they were gonna put the rights and give the organization the resources to be successful. So they got access to all digital rights from all 30 clubs. There was agreement, you know, that there would be... How easy was that to yeah, accomplish? Yeah, I mean, I wasn't around for that, <laughs> but I can imagine, you know, a lot of uh, long nights discussing and horse trading and those sorts of things. But the, the takeaway was that they got there. Yeah. And they, and they got to a point where all 30 clubs with disparate interests, different markets, different sort of maturity from a technology perspective, they all agreed that this long-term vision really could unlock power and 
economic value for the entity. And so they all aligned and they gave this entity digital rights for all the 30 clubs, rights, rights for digital marketing and data collection for fans and all those sorts of things. And they gave them the sort of the foundational elements to be successful. Mm. And then they also sort of carved them out to the side and said, go, go take this and run with it. Go from zero to 60 as fast as you can. And they built this culture of innovation and creativity that really still pervades in our organization today. And how does something get out of BAM into the 30 clubs and into the fans? Well, now we've now it's really it's all part of one organization. Yeah. I think for a period of time when it first started, it was very much treated as sort of a standalone side operation. And then as it matured and became more successful, it got folded back into the main function. So now that culture of innovation and fresh thinking, whether it comes to things like our apps, our MLB.tv product, mm-hmm. we stream over 3 billion minutes a month in live baseball, which I mean, it's, you know, I'd be hard pressed to find another live streaming product that streams that much live content in a month during the baseball season. How, how has that culture then permeated the rest of the organization is one of the, one of the things we learn over and over again is look, you know, this all sounds good. However, you know, people have a day job and the day job is what keeps the lights on. Is that dynamic present in the baseball organization or is it truly a culture of innovation and how how do you support and and encourage that yeah i think there's this idea that we're always looking for the next opportunity to connect with younger fans this this idea that we need to continue to cultivate the fan for 10 20 years from now is paired with yes we got to drive revenue for this season or we have to sell you know this or that or tickets but how do we how do we think about 10 years or 20 years from now? Are, are you concerned that the the younger aged groups are not adopting baseball the way that historically you would have seen? There has been certainly changes in sports consumption broadly for younger fans. You know, I think that's something we're aggressively paying attention to. We are thinking about how we're delivering content on different platforms. But I, I think baseball gets a little bit of a bad rap about connecting with younger fans because... Why do you think that is? Yeah. It's because it's been around for so long. And my, my hypothesis is that older people look at what we're doing and they see something that's different yeah. than what happened. But the world's changed a lot in 50, 60, 70 years. And yeah, we're, we'll own that. We're doing things differently to this generation than we did to previous generations. If you look at the numbers, starting with participation, baseball is the number one participation sport for kids under the age of 12 in the United States. I mean, if you, you'd think that like no one plays baseball anymore with some of the, the articles we read from the press, but let's look at the real data. Yeah. Baseball is the number one participation sport for young kids in the United States. We're doing really well with young fans in terms of attendance. We have double the number of fans under the age of 12 go to a baseball game as compared to any other professional sport. There's a whole host of metrics that show that we're we're very healthy with yeah. young fans and it's a lot of it's because of this culture that we have in the organization about finding ways to present the sport in a way that's conducive to young fans and, and you see that if you go to the ballpark i mean we lean in on mascots we lean in on entertainment we lean in on family friendly type of things that's not an accident we do that because we know that's a way that we can connect with younger fans and does the organization embrace this youthful culture in the way that you hire people the way you celebrate ideas the way that you move things across the organization is that is that a fair fair statement or is that still a work in progress no i think i think the idea is that everything we do is geared towards that end game and so whether it's hiring whether it's how we come up with our department goals whether it's how we do our planning process 
everything we do is geared towards attaching to that vision. And so it manifests itself in a place like technology. It may manifest in somewhere like ticketing where we actually ended up buying our own ticketing company. Mm -hmm. You know, and MLB has, we fully run tickets.com. That's an innovation that we stumbled upon, you know, almost two decades ago because we know that ticketing is so important to connecting with young fans. Is there a process or an approach for innovation within baseball? Like if we went and did the classic management mapping, would we say, okay, here's your strategic innovation process and here's your development process? Does that exist or is it much more organic? I think we shy away from the formality mm-hmm. because I, we, I feel like it, it just adds too much overhead. The other, the other piece of it is if it's ingrained in your culture, you don't need the overly formal, the strategic planning process or the checklist or whatever. It's people understand it because it's, it's been part of our culture for decades now. And I think we've really built that into the environment so that when people see ideas or opportunities to do things differently, we embrace that. Another great example of that is what we've just done in the last several months around local media delivery. Mm-hmm. We do the full local media delivery for two baseball teams. Right? We're the only league that produces games, yeah. streams them online in, in local markets, again, because we want to do things differently and, and think creatively about the business. So it sparks two questions for me. Number one, you know, lots of organizations have ideas and you know, innovation in, is not an ideas problem. It's a resource allocation problem. So once those ideas start to bubble up, whether they're from the top or from the bottom, it's all about putting the right team around that idea with the right capabilities to allow it to scale. How does baseball do that? Uh, Particularly in a world where, as you said, you don't have formalized processes and things necessarily. So a lot of it's the commissioner on a day-to-day basis helping us navigate what's important to him and where we should be delivering our resources. But the other piece of it, and this is a little different for baseball too, is that our 30 clubs, which is our quote unquote board of directors, they're not just flying in for a couple meetings a year and checking out. They're actively engaged in the business. We have a number of committees that that help us run our business. We have a committee that runs our business and technology. We have a committee that runs our international growth opportunities. And so you're getting direct feedback from you know senior stakeholders, owners of teams, presidents of teams, people who are on the ground running a baseball franchise saying, you should be doing this, or we'll take three or four ideas to them and they'll say, you know what, go for number one. So there's really active engagement with your version of the front line. I mean, this is something that many organizations struggle with is that, you know, innovation often comes from some parts of the organization that are disconnected from whatever the equivalent of the front line is. Yeah. Our, our model is not that dissimilar from the traditional franchise model. It's the same as a McDonald's or fast food restaurant. We're the central office. And so we are responsible for driving innovation and strategy and thinking. But the challenge is that is, is we don't actually run a team. We don't play any games. We don't have any players that play for us. Although a lot of those franchise models, including the one you just referenced, do have challenges with generating innovation at the lowest levels. So there is something unique about the evolution and the, the ways of working that's, that baseball has achieved that feels different. Yeah, that's, that's a little bit of my point is that we've really found a way to connect the central structure, the organization that is responsible for running the industry with the people who are on the ground, who are interacting with the fan on a day-to-day basis, with the people who are walking into the ballpark every evening and watching the, the glow on that kid's face when they walk into the ballpark. We've been able to really do a good job of connecting the two together so that we're aligned and we're coming up with consistent innovation. So as people listen to this discussion, 
what are like two or three things that they should know about the way that baseball innovates that they could extrapolate perhaps to their own environment? For me, the biggest thing is that we listen to the consumer first. And so everything we do, whether it's within our MLB.tv product and how we deliver games to fans, that, that innovation came from, hey, wouldn't you love to watch games in the office or on your computer? And you can't do that right now. Okay, we'll solve that problem for you. Or something like our new schedule, which we just rolled out this year, which w- was fans giving us feedback. Hey, I don't, Shohei Otani might be the, one of the greatest players ever to play in baseball. He's not going to come to my home ballpark for six years just yeah. with the way the schedule was structured. And so we said, okay, we should figure out a way to make sure that every team plays every other team every year. Mm-hmm. So your team will play the Angels and you'll get to see Shohei Otani every year. That's another example. We've done things in the ticketing space in the ballpark app, what we've built in our office that delivers tickets digitally because we heard feedback from fans that it's impossible for me to figure out how to find someone off the subway and hand them their ticket and get into the ballpark and get my seat in their seat. Why can't we just get tickets digitally? So now we're in a world where over 95% of our tickets are delivered digitally, whereas just four years ago it was in the teens. That's the starting point is really, really pay close attention to what your consumer, what the fan is asking you to do. The second step is allow for experimentation and allow for people on the ground to come up with new ideas and new ways of doing things that may be different than the way we've done it in the past, and then really drive alignment among our teams in the organization. That starts with the commissioner and leadership in the organization to say that technology should work with marketing and analytics and the media group, and they should all talk every day to baseball operations because they're the ones that are putting the product on the field. And so that level of connectivity between the organization really allows for fresh thinking and it allows for the best ideas, no matter where they come from, to really bubble up to the surface. I can imagine many are listening saying, wow, I would really like Chris's job. So how did Chris get to be Chris and have your job? I, I played baseball my whole life. I've, I've played on a competitive baseball or softball team every year of my life since I was five years old. I've been to a major league game every year of my life, except 2020 when no one really went to major league baseball games. And so for me, when I got out of college, I played baseball in college as well. And so I started to work in financial services industry outside of baseball. And I, on the side, I started coaching high school baseball as a volunteer. It got to the point where I was probably spending more time coaching baseball for free yeah. than I was at the office getting paid. And I, so when I went back to business school, I sort of had this idea in mind about hey, is there a way for me to take some of the skills that I've learned in industry? And I had an engineering background in college. And this was when Moneyball was really becoming popular in baseball. And I said, well, look, maybe I can bring something to bear with this Moneyball culture of analytics, strategic thinking, technology, and bring that to baseball with my background as a player, as a coach. And so I just got lucky. I was an intern here. I was in a one bedroom apartment with like three guys for the summer of my internship, sleeping on the couch and whatever, and learning about the organization, meeting people. I got to meet the current commissioner, Rob Manfred, who when he was here, I got to interact with him a little bit and some others in the organization just because I was I was here and I was working. There was a position that opened up. They kind of thought of me when I got out of business school. And then I've, I've been here ever since in different roles. My focus all along has always just been to contribute to make the sport better. You know, it hasn't been to do any one thing. I've never said I got to be in this department or that department. It's, I love the game. I want to make the game better. What can I do to make the game better? And that's been kind of the key for me just to stay challenged and, and have a lot of fun. So what should we expect in the future of how the game is going to get better 
out of the, the innovations that you and your team and colleagues are applying their energy against? Right now, the local media space, the media space in general is just going through a, a lot of disruption. And so I really believe in the future, fans are going to be able to access baseball content in a very different way than they access it today. All, frankly, all live sports content. And we want to be at the forefront of that innovation. We want to use the technology experience that we have from MLB.TV streaming two and a half, three billion live minutes every month to fans on digital platforms. How can we bring more baseball to more people? I think you're going to see a lot of that. I think you're going to see a lot more around getting more fans back to the ballpark. We're up 8% in attendance this year. We've innovated in our ballpark app and we've spent a lot of time with our clubs around creating just an exceptional consumer experience in the ballpark, just using a lot of technology to make that experience so great. We, we have 70 million people a year that go to a baseball game, major league game, 30 million that go to a minor league game, 100 million people in the United States that go to a baseball game every year. How can we make that experience exceptional using technology? You'll see a lot from us on that. So those are some of the things that we're working on that I think are really exciting and will, will help us continue to connect with that next generation of fan. Well, Chris, I can't thank you enough for your time. Hopefully our listeners have learned a number of things, perhaps about baseball, but more importantly about how baseball is innovating that will no question bring more enjoyment to the game and all of your millions and millions of fans. So thank you so, so much for your time today. Thanks. This was great. Thank you. Thanks for listening. You can find a transcript of this conversation at mckinsey.com slash committed innovator. We look forward to having you join us again soon for the next episode of the Committed Innovator.